Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode number 120. I'm Art Regner. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt. Hey, you know, it is summertime. It is warm. It's steamy. It's humid. It's Michigan. But what better way to cap off your summer day than an ice-cold Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, but as always, we ask that you drink our premium beer, Labatt Blue, responsibly. And let's bring in our guest in episode 120, the Assistant General Manager of the Detroit Red Wings and consultant with Team USA here at the Summer Showcase. We're in Plymouth, Michigan today, the site of the Summer Showcase for the next week where two teams, at least in the beginning, from Team Canada and Team USA will be competing against teams from Finland and a team from Sweden. And these young men are playing for an opportunity to be invited to their camp to represent their uh, respective countries at the World Junior Tournament, which takes place right after Christmas time. Um, sometimes in Canada, sometimes in the U.S., sometimes in Europe. We'll talk to Ryan about that, but uh, I think I've talked enough. Let's uh, let's bring in Ryan Martin, the Assistant General Manager of the Red Wings. Ryan, thank you. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Hey, Art. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, before I begin, you know, there's been a lot of changes going on, obviously, with Steve coming in, but you're pretty much essentially have the same job, I would assume. Assistant General Manager, General Manager of Grand Rapids, consultant for Toledo. So I, I would say, and uh, you, so you're pretty much doing what you've always been doing within the organization? Uh, yeah, you know, Steve and I had a chance to sit down uh, on a couple of occasions since he's been back and uh, basically my responsibilities will remain the same. I think there's been a little bit of a shift with some of the responsibilities now with Pat Verbeek being in. We didn't, uh, we did not have a Pat Verbeek per se uh, when Ken was here. I mean, Mark Howe is the director of pro scouting and our pro scouting staff did a lot of what Pat um, did in Tampa and will do for Detroit. So I think the, the duties were uh, shuffled uh, among some different parties, but now that Pat's here, um, you know, so there's a little bit of shift, but for the most part, yes, I'll continue to obviously, you know, the, the collective bargaining agreement, the salary cap work, but certainly uh, general manager of Grand Rapids and, uh, you know, work with Toledo as well uh, will be two of my primary responsibilities. Um, I, I want to uh, get into the summer showcase here because fans should really know about it. I think it's kind of the best kept secret. Uh, I know it rotates from year to year. It was here a, a couple of years ago. As a matter of fact, the story I like to tell is that Michael Rasmussen signed his Red Wing contract on a, uh, on a trash can. Uh, <laughs> That's true. That is a very true story. I was right there with him to witness it. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, but this is really uh, high-end uh, talent that's going to be here. Why don't you tell fans a little bit about it and uh, uh, what they can expect to see this uh, this coming week. Well, for, for anybody that enjoys the, the World Junior Tournament every year right after Christmas, which for those that don't know, the World Junior is the, the best under 20 prospects from, from around the world. So uh, many of them already drafted uh, property of different NHL teams. And, and as you mentioned, the tournament rotates between North America and, and Europe. And this showcase um, is, is an opportunity for Canada, the United States, and in this case, Finland and Sweden to evaluate their players uh, who will eventually be picked for that team. So essentially, this is the best under 20 hockey players from those four nations gathered together 
uh, and play a round robin of sorts. So uh, if you're if you're a hockey fan uh, and you're familiar with college, junior, or European players under the age of 20, um, this is the highest of the high-end talent around the world, and uh, there's nothing better than hockey in late July, early August. Well, I, I agree. I agree with you, uh, Ryan. Why don't you talk a little bit about your affiliation with uh, uh, Team USA? How far back it goes, and what exactly your duties are? So it was. Uh, it was about eight years ago. Right? I'd have to check a calendar on that one. But uh, Jim Johansson, who unfortunately passed away. Uh, about a year ago, JJ, as he was known, uh, I befriended JJ in the rink uh, at one of the NTDP tryout camps, and I wanted to get involved with USA Hockey. Uh, at the time, I was spending a lot of time scouting amateur players, and, and I knew that JJ uh, had a pretty small, what I would say, player personnel group uh, who would be out evaluating these players, and I just asked if I could volunteer, and he invited me into Lake Placid for the, the summer showcase. At the time, uh, the tournament was, the summer tournament was held in Lake Placid, uh, the 1980 rink, obviously a lot of history in Lake Placid. It was Canada, uh, sorry, it was Sweden, Finland, and the United States. Uh, they would bring in a fourth country. The Czechs came, I think the Slovaks came one year. We all lived in the dorms at the Olympic compound, ate in the cafeteria, all the teams were together. It was an unbelievable experience. And from that, uh, you know, from me asking to get my foot in the door and help and him inviting me to a summer camp, uh, it ended up materializing into, um, I would describe it as a, a permanent volunteer position. Uh, you, you know, so my, you know, my, my responsibility is after the summer camp, I, I spend uh, some time between September and December uh, watching these players play. And there's a, there's a group of evaluators, Ben Smith, uh, of course, the renowned women's Olympic coach uh, from several years ago, Ben, is one of the evaluators. He lives in Boston, and, and now John Van Beesbrook, who took over for JJ as the executive director. He lives in Michigan, but you know certainly John spends a lot of time on the road watching these players. So, um, over the years, there's been a couple different other people involved, but that that's really it. We work hand in hand with the coaching staff and. And uh, so I, I've got the opportunity to watch these kids play and, and, and put the team together. And it's a great, great chance to build a team, a great chance to represent my country, uh, and, and a great chance to get to know these kids. Last year, the World Junior Team and actually the, um, the U18 team here at the development program out here in Plymouth uh, was extraordinary. I can remember before the draft, uh, Steve had a press conference, Steve Iserman, where he talked about that, you know, different, and he also brought up the USHL, that sometimes it goes, it's cyclical, it goes from year to year, but last year's group, especially of forwards for Team USA, was extraordinary. Have you seen something like that, or is that, should Americans, I guess, get used to something like that, because this program is now in full swing? I mean, I know it's 20 years or however long it's it, it's been uh, the development program, but it's really starting to, uh, pay huge dividends for this country? Well, certainly I would say the program uh, is definitely paying tremendous dividends for the, the, for the country, for the development of U.S. hockey players, for the development of players for the National Hockey League. Uh, I believe they had seven first-rounders. I don't have the stats in front of me, but this year's team, I think, is probably the greatest of all time. Uh, 
Um, I mean, what they did against college and junior competition has never been done before. It's a pretty special age group, that 01 age group. Uh, you know, will we see another team as good as that team? I, I don't know. Certainly, you know, that's the mark that they're striving for. But even if they fall short of that mark, I still think they're going to have really good competitive teams here. Uh, I think this program is, is very well run. I can remember I was in the player agent business back in the inception of this program when Bob Mancini and Jeff Jackson uh, were here to, uh, you know, to bring in the first group and, and coach them. And where the program has grown from those days to where it is now uh, is absolutely tremendous. Uh, it's tremendous for uh, the development of U.S. hockey players. I think it also is tremendous for U.S. college hockey. A lot of these players obviously feed into college hockey. It's great for the United States Hockey League, which is you know the Tier 1 junior league in the United States because the number of players um, that, that don't play here uh, end up playing in those teams in the USHL. And frankly, this team's in that league. So I think it helps make that league better. So uh, lots of positives. Um, uh, you know, around for the development of players in this country, and certainly a big, big part of it is is the NTDP. You know, I, 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 how much can a team like last year's team, even though they didn't win the gold medal in the uh, in the World Championships or the World Junior Championships, but can because hockey now is is not a regional sport anymore. Players are coming from all over the United States. Uh, uh, certainly, I mean, look at Austin Matthews from Arizona. Uh, but uh, I'm just kind of curious. Can you build upon that? You know, I go back to my day. You know, Miracle on Ice. That's boom. Miracle on Ice. Boom. That kind of put co not college hockey. Pardon me, USA hockey on the map. Um, do you see it still growing by leaps and bounds? I yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and I'm a Miracle on Ice. I'm a product of Miracle on Ice. I remember where I was, you know, on that night in February watching that game in my parents' bedroom. But, uh, you know, the other on Thursday night we had a, a team meeting here with uh, and Coach Sandlin from Minnesota Duluth first said, you know, I want every player to go around and stand up and, and say where they're from. And, and, you know, so we have major junior kids here from the CHL. Obviously we have a – a big presence of former NTDP kids. We've got some college players, but you know, when kids are standing up and you know, you've got Wolf, uh, a goalie from California that plays in the Western League. You've got Demon, a kid from California that plays college. Uh, you've got obviously you've got a lot of kids from Michigan. You've got a, a lot of kids from uh, Minnesota, but certainly you know, you've got a kid from Florida. You've got uh, you know, a, a kid from, from that plays at Arizona State. So, you know, the, the footprint of, of hockey for sure is growing. You know, obviously a lot of this is the fruits of, uh, you know, teams migrating to California, both at the NHL level um, and really the American League level. Now with a big presence in the Pacific Division of the American League, that's helped to grow right. hockey. But, you know, teams in Arizona, teams in Florida, teams in Texas, and, and everybody has seen the, the growth of hockey in those areas. So, uh, you know, for sure, um, it's expanded the footprint, and, um, and 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 as you correctly point out, you know, Austin Matthews coming from Arizona, I think that's no longer going to be considered a, an outlier. Teams right. th at some point they're not going to be non-traditional markets; they're they're going to be markets, and I think that's what you're starting to see. 
Well, you know, uh, again, it used to be the three M's, right? Michigan, Minnesota, Massachusetts, and certainly those three states produce a lot of hockey players. I'm not going to take anything away from them, and I always joke with, uh, with my friends from Massachusetts and Minnesota, Michigan has produced probably the best high-end NHL talent, but, uh, uh, but I'll save that for another day. I just, uh, I'm just throwing it out there so when people see me, they'll, they'll, they'll want to debate that. But it's in a good place. What can we expect from Team USA this week here in the Summer Showcase? Because obviously, not only are they competing against themselves and going against three other great teams in Canada, Finland, and Sweden, but they almost have now a legacy that this previous team had set for them. Well, not to confuse, you know, the previous team, the NTDP team, it, for those that don't know, it's a, you know, the NTDP has two age groups. They've right. got a, a group of 17-year-olds that play on the under-18 team, and they have a group of 16-year-olds that play on the under-17 team. So the team we're speaking about that was generational was this year's group of 17-year-olds, and certainly many of them are here trying out now for the World Junior Team, which is an under-20 team. So. Um, I don't know that they're necessarily a, competing against the legacy that came before them on the NTDP stage, but certainly they're competing against the legacy that came before them on the World Junior stage. Right, that, that's and, what I meant. Right, right. so, uh, you know, we've meddled four years in a row. Uh, that's never been done before by a World Junior team in the United States, so this would be a strive for five. Um, and, and, you know, that's a, that's a big, big accomplishment. I mean, there were years... Uh, as, as Coach Sandel incorrectly pointed out, I think this will be his fourth world junior team. He's never won a gold medal, but he started the meeting by saying he's actually played in the relegation game. And so that would be the, you know, the fight to, to stay in one of the top ten seeds that plays in the higher division and not get relegated into the B pool, which I don't know that we've ever been in that, but certainly... Uh, you know, as, as Coach Sandel incorrectly pointed out, USA Hockey's come a long way where, you know, now the expectation is a gold medal. You know, we won a silver last year. We were disappointed we didn't win the gold. Certainly, silver's a lot to be proud of, but that is the, that is the standard. That's the expectation. So what can fans see or, and expect if they come out and watch this tournament this week? Well, first, high-level hockey. Uh, you know, I think we have... Uh, We've got close to 45, 46 of the best under-20 players in the United States competing uh, for spots on that under-20 team, which will be finally selected in December. This is one part of the evaluation process, but it, uh, you know, make no mistake about it, it's a tryout camp uh, in Sweden, Finland, and, and Canada are, are using it for the same purpose. It's, um, it's, they're going to be competitive games. Um, you know, we're not necessarily playing to win those games, but we're playing to put the best lineup on the ice that can help us make the best decisions in terms of putting a team together uh, eventually in December. Many of these players, as you said, have been drafted into the NHL. We'll get into some of the Red Wing prospects that are here uh, this week in Plymouth. Uh, but now you're Team USA official, shall we say. But when do you put on your Red Wing hat and start looking at them? Because there's also many players that are going to be eligible for the 2020 draft that comes up next June in Montreal. Sure. So, you know, obviously as part of our scouting process, we're always entering reports on not only players that are owned by other NHL organizations and putting in projections about their pro potential, but as you correctly point out, uh, you know, making evaluations on players who are draft eligible. So the United States, for instance, has a few of those players that are 
eligible for the 2020 draft either for the first time or they, they went through this past draft and weren't drafted, so they're still eligible. Uh, Sweden and Finland have players like that as well, and Canada will have players like that. So, uh, again, you know, a, a chance to, to evaluate not only the players that are owned by other NHL teams, and they're at different points in their development. Some are playing junior hockey still, some um, for instance, like Joel Farabee, who played a year of college hockey, now he's turned pro. He'll be competing for a job uh, on the Flyers this year or maybe in the American League with, with Lehigh Valley. So lots of different players here uh, at different points in their development, playing at different levels, whether it's pro, whether it's college, whether it's in the CHL or Europe. Uh, so it's a real good cross-section of the different groups that, that uh, make up the NHL player pool and, and certainly something that we're uh, you know, constantly tracking with our player evaluations. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious. The, the th I like uh, a week from today will be the final games, and it's uh, usually will be Finland versus Sweden and Team USA versus Team Canada. Uh, a couple of years ago, where I can remember talking to you about Philip Larson, who was the third goalie for Team Sweden, ended up being their best goalie in this show, summer showcase. I know he was a little myth that they didn't even know who he was, he thought, the Swedish coaches in the beginning. But he played a game against Kasper Kotskansala, who's a Red Wing uh, uh, prospect defenseman at, uh, at Boston University. Kasper predicted victory uh, over Team Sweden. Uh, Larson thought that was rather hilarious. And then, of course, anytime Team Canada and Team USA meet up on the ice, it's, uh, you know, I know we have the, what, the world's longest peaceful border, but it's definitely not that on the ice. So this, uh, if you can only come one week or one game this week, the next Saturday would probably be it because by that time, Team USA is down to one team, Team Canada is down to one team, and obviously Finland and Sweden just bring one team. So uh, again, and I don't want to, I'm a big fan of the Summer Showcase, I really am, And but this is going to be not only an incredible week, but next Saturday should just be incredible competition. No, really great high-end competition. We won't be down to one team per se in terms of who's here. I think we'll still have the entire group here, but obviously we'll, we'll have to select uh, one group to go out and play, whether that's uh, you know the, the players that are ultimately more likely to make the team or there still could be candidates who are trying out for positions. I don't That'll be up to the coaches on how they want to handle the, the lineup that they put out there. But it, it will be a really good game. Um, I, I think there was a standing room only crowd uh, the last time it was here. It was a phenomenal game for, for early August. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Okay. And uh, let's now turn our attention to uh, uh, some of the Red Wing prospects that are here and a couple maybe that aren't. Uh, uh, two years ago when it was here in Plymouth, uh, Keith Petrozelli was on Team USA. And uh, we spend time here for, for me and my colleague Dana Wakiji at DetroitRedWings.com. We love the hockey, but we only really talk to the Red Wing prospects that are here. Uh, and uh, Team USA had two, but both of them are injured right now. Uh, Robert Master Simone, who broke his ankle, unfortunately, at development camp. And then Alex Regula, who just seems to be having some sort of lingering knee issue that everyone thinks should just be getting better and I mean it's he's getting better but I mean how disappointing is it for that for those young men and maybe from an organizational standpoint how disappointing is it for you for the Red Wings not to have these two guys in this uh, you know uh, for you know showcase tournament 
Well, for, first from the player's standpoint, certainly disappointing for both of them. Um, this is a huge honor to be selected to play in this. Uh, I mean, it's an incredibly important tournament. Uh, I think both players would tell you uh, if they were sitting here that it would be a goal of theirs, a career goal to play in this. I mean, if you ask any NHL player, um, you know, to list some of his greatest moments in his career, if they've played in this tournament, oftentimes they will mention this. So, um, you know, both players were disappointed. You know, organizationally, sure, we're disappointed that we don't get a chance to see them here and evaluate them. But the bigger, um, the more important thing is in their best interest that they're healthy and they get better. I, my understanding is Robert just went on the ice a couple of days ago for the first time. So he's back. You know, he's going to be playing at a really good college program at BU. Ben Smith, one of the main evaluators for the team, lives in Boston. Uh, we'll see BU play a ton because we have several players that are trying out for this team that are at BU. Uh, so I'm not too worried about Robert. We'll get the eyes on him. Uh, and, and I like him as a player and I like him as a candidate for this team. And, and by the same token, Alec uh, is right up the road in London. I'll see him play a lot. You know, John Van Beesbrook, will, who's the executive director, will see him play a lot. You know, certainly Alec was disappointed because of, you know his knee injury uh, you know, hasn't really progressed as quickly as he would like, but it certainly is progressing. Um, and Alec was at the opening meeting the other night. And, and uh, so, you know, he's, he's going to have a chance to make this team. He was at the camp last year, so he's been through the camp process before, which I think is good for him so that if he is a candidate to come back to the December camp, it won't be the first time uh, that he's here. He'll be a little bit more experienced. Uh, one Red Wing prospect on Team Canada, uh, but uh, one that uh, that I'm very familiar with, obviously as you are, and that's Joe uh, Valeno. Uh, he was on the World Junior Team last year, uh, became a fourth line center. I know he's one of our bloggers in our Taking Flight series. Uh, uh, we're going to have to change the name of Joe's blog this upcoming year from the Q to the D because he no longer will be in the Q. But you know, he really wanted to work on his 200-foot game, and he thought that maybe last year's World Junior Tournament was good for him, even though he was not used to being a fourth-line center, but he obviously was in a different role than he was used to. Uh, uh, Joe, because he had exceptional status, is going to be able to play either for the Red Wings if he makes the team or prop most likely in Grand Rapids. Uh, how big of a tournament is this uh, for, for Joe Valeno, and is this a point where he should start separating himself from the pack? Yeah, everything you said is extremely accurate. I probably couldn't have said it better myself, but it's it's a 19-year-old tournament. Uh, it, you know, typically the 18-year-old players that go into that tournament, uh, it's a challenge. There's some struggles. Uh, you know, teams that have had success typically have had more impactful 19-year-old players, and and so. A, it was a great opportunity for Joe to play in the tournament a year ago. Great opportunity for him to play a different role than he did in Drummondville where he's more offensive and relied upon for, for more offense. So for him to check and play more of a bottom six role, I think that was great for his experience. And now he gets the added bonus of, of being in a position most likely to uh, play a, a big role and hopefully a big role offensively for this team. So I'm sure Canada is looking for him to take on a, a big leadership role uh, and, and, and hopefully a big offensive role. 
And as you correctly point out, you know, because of his exceptional status and he's done his, his, uh, his four years in the CHL, he's eligible to play uh, pro this year. So he'll be competing for a job in Detroit in camp. And then certainly uh, Grand Rapids is an option as well. Yeah, I don't want you to be a soothsayer. And, you know, and, and I don't want to put you in an unfair position, Ryan. But he obviously is geared towards making the Red Wings, you know, and he should be. Uh, does he have a real, you, you know, I mean, he seems really balanced. He seems to be, and I'll say this about all the draft picks that I've talked to, and it's virtually every one of them, they seem to have an understanding. Is that the sophistication that younger athletes have now as opposed to, you know, maybe if I were a high-end hockey player back when I was a teenager, uh, I would have thought I'm going to make this the pros, and if I didn't, I'd be devastated. They seem to be able to to filter everything and understand what they're going through. But do you sometimes worry? And I know this is a long rambling question. That Valeno's so set on making Detroit. If he doesn't, do you not you coddle them? That's the, not the improper thing. But do you have to some, maybe sometimes watch out where they are mentally, at least in the beginning? just to make sure that they're, they're all settled and they understand really what's going on, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, well, that's, all, that's always a challenge. And, and, it, and you know, obviously the, the psychological, the emotional part of their development is always something that we take into consideration. Um, you know, I, I think, first of all, they, they probably, almost all of them uh, might not expect to make the Red Wings, but they certainly expect to be in a position to compete for a job. And whether that's the opportunity to make the team out of camp, whether that's the opportunity to uh, show the coaching staff and the management group that they're going to be real viable options on a call up, or that maybe if they do have to go to the American League, it's going to be for a short time. Uh, and so everybody's at a different point in, in their development, but their emotional. Uh, psyche is something that you have to consider. You know, our player development group is phenomenal in terms of managing expectations. You know, obviously it's the job of the, it's just Steve's job as the GM and, and um, you know, myself and Pat Verbeek as assistants to, when we have meetings with these players, you do manage expectations. You're, you, you're, you're straightforward, you're direct, you tell them what they need to work on if they're not ready to play at that level. And, there, there's always going to be disappointment, I think. You, you want them to be disappointed. That's why they're high-level athletes. But at the end of the day, you know, for example, Phil Horonic was disappointed last year, but he knew it was the best thing for him. He knew it was the best thing to go down and play 25 minutes and play on every power play and learn how to penalty kill better at that level. We can make mistakes at that level, and it can cost Grand Rapids games, and it's not that big of a deal. We don't want him making mistakes at the NHL level. So... Um, you know, from, from Joe's standpoint, uh, we want him to want to be on the team. We want him to expect to compete for a job at a camp. But at the same time, we know we have a really good development option available to us in the American League. And, and we'll manage Joe uh, in his expectations and, and help him. And that, that's all part of player development. It's completely uh, normal and routine, and, and every team goes through that. You know, I, I think that there used to be years and years with the Red Wings where young prospects had no 
had a snowball's chance in the Hades of making the Red Wings just because the team was so loaded. But I think I, I, is the I, I think as long as they believe that they're given a fair shot and let the chips fall where they may, and maybe that's the most important thing. And it certainly see, seems that what Steve has said uh, several times since he's been back is that, hey, jobs are open. Let's go for it, boys. Yeah, and I would say there's, there's several different agendas uh, that come into play here. Number one, uh, the team obviously is not as good as, as we were seven, eight years ago. Uh, number two, uh, we were an older team back then. We had older players. They were very good NHL players, but there wasn't as much opportunity for younger players, and, and that was just a fact. Number three, uh, our prospects were not of the caliber that we have today because we, we didn't pick high enough in the draft. Right. We traded a lot of picks. So we didn't have these high-end younger players coming. There was nobody to push from the bottom up. We like, so we had to get older players. And, and I'd say number four, uh, younger players are, are further developed today than they, they've ever been. I mean, the player development is at an all-time high, uh, both from player development groups like we have with Sean Horkoff and Dan Cleary and, and, uh, and what they do on their own. So the players and the athletes are, are way more advanced than they were a decade ago and they're ready to play in the NHL sooner. So there's a lot of different uh, agendas at play. So Steve correctly points out, obviously, there are open spots. You know, we don't have a full roster yet. You know, young players are going to get an opportunity to, to make the team. And if they don't make the team, young players are inevitably going to get opportunities to play in Detroit throughout the year. And, and I think that's, that's a great thing for this organization. It's going to help us develop more players. Uh, it's a really good thing for Grand Rapids. You know, I was meeting with Ben Simon. Uh, ben, ironically enough, Ben actually is here as a member of Team USA. Also, he's a guest coach uh, for one of these teams this week during the camp. And and Ben and I were talking. We're we're going to be younger than ever in, in Grand Rapids. I don't think we've been this young in about five years. So there's going to be a lot of of opportunity for first and second year pros down in Grand Rapids. And and ultimately, a number of these guys have to. Uh, have to push to make Detroit or play games in Detroit if, if we're going to develop the organization. One of the hallmarks of the Red Wings, and I'm going to go jump now to, uh, to, to, to Team Finland, uh, was the fact of picking those diamonds in the rough, uh, getting guys in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, guys that actually contributed to the team. One player who's going to play for Team Finland that I know the Red Wings like when they drafted him, uh, seventh round pick in the 2018 draft, um, is uh, Otto Kevamaki, um, whom has been impressive He's not the biggest guy in the world at five foot eight, about 160 pounds, but he is going to be here this week um, uh, for Team Finland. And it appears that, and I haven't really talked to a lot of the Finnish coaches, but from what I've read is, is that he could be a real integral part this week. Well, he's a real cerebral player. Very, very skilled, um, very slight, not, not the biggest guy. Uh, but you know what he lacks in size, I think he makes up for in and how he thinks the game and moves his way around the ice in terms of his hockey sense and his puck skills. He's a, he's a creative offensive guy. Uh, I had never seen him play when we drafted him. I saw him play last year over in Finland. Sean Horkoff and I uh, were on a trip together over there. And, and at the time, Otto was playing in the Finnish Junior League and was probably one of the better players in the league and, and frankly wasn't being challenged enough. 
but the positive was was that he was gaining a lot of confidence. He could make plays at that level and uh, do things with the puck, I think, that are really suited to his game. And then by the end of the year, uh, he, he managed to play, I think, a little more than 30 games in the Finnish Elite League uh, and, and did very well. He had about a point every other game um, total for the year, but I think he collected most of those points. He was more than a point a game or about a point a game guy for the last 15 or 20. So certainly, uh, you know, for his age to be playing in the highest level in Finland uh, is really positive. For him to have a chance to make this team uh, is really good for him. I know I saw him in the hallway today uh, and spent some time with him at development camp. He is a little bigger. He's a little stronger. Uh, he's working towards that, but certainly we're we're really pleased with where Otto is at in his development and, and a real real creative uh, cerebral player. Uh, Brian, I'm kind of curious. Otto's playing in Finland. He's in a league where he uh, maybe he can't get much out of, but so he probably should dominate that league. I mean, that's what you really want to see. Do the Red Wings have any say? in going to his Finnish team and saying bump him up a league or is he pretty much their property even though you drafted him? Well he's their property until we sign him and then um, it, once we sign him the basic rule is if you're under the age of, of 22 there's an obligation on the NHL team to return him to Europe unless he makes that NHL roster or unless he's a first round pick so Otto's not a first rounder so we don't have a whole lot of control over him, but uh, he will be in the Elite League, the Finnish Elite League this year. So he has graduated from the Junior League. We think he's in a really good spot. Um, you, you know, what, what started as maybe a, a slow year playing in the Junior League, and although I, I do say that it, it helped him uh, to handle the puck a lot and play with a lot of confidence, I think he quickly matriculated into the higher league and, and then for good for him, he had some success towards the end of the year. So their their club team is putting him up into the highest league. Um, it's going to be a challenge for him at times, for sure. Uh, but we think he's in a he's in a good spot over there. When you look at uh, Team Sweden, there's a couple of uh, prospects. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, uh, Jonathan Berggren, uh, who's second round pick, 33rd overall in 2018. Uh, Tyler Wright told me back the the year that you drafted him that if Joe Valeno wasn't at 30 uh, that you picked, Jonathan Bergwin, who actually didn't go that many far, you know, 33rd, that he would have been picked at number 30. I know the Red Wings like him. He had a, I believe it was a back injury last year, so did not seem uh, play a whole heck of a lot. I'm sure that this is probably a big tournament uh, for him just because he wants to make, obviously, his world junior team, but th because he's now going to be playing against the very best of the best to see maybe where he is in his rehab stint, I guess, from his injury, even though I know he came back last year for a little while. Yeah, he did deal with a nagging back injury last year, which really was ongoing for almost the entire season and, and kept him out at, at different times. But, you know, he's a player that, that started in the Elite League early in the year last year and by all accounts was having what I would say uh, – was a decent campaign. You know, certainly it was a challenge for him, but not uh, insurmountable. He was more than just treading water there. And and then um, he was, you know, he was hurt during off-season training, and it sort of caught up with him as early, early on in the season. And so he was sidelined relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, the positive is, uh, you know, we just saw him at development camp. Uh, he's in a good spot medically. Uh, he's healed. He's healthy now. You know, now he's he's got to get back into to game shape and uh, continue in that respect. But this is a great opportunity for him, you know, for his age. You know, he'd be a 19-year-old in this tournament, I think. Uh, it would be tremendous for him to have the opportunity to play for Sweden. Sweden always has one of the best teams in the tournament. Um, so we're really excited uh, about, first, the chance to see him play this week here in this environment and then hopefully uh, earn a spot on Sweden's team and then go play in the actual tournament. Uh, goaltender, uh, also for Team Sweden, uh, third-round pick, 84th overall in 2018. Red Wings took a couple of goaltenders in that 2018 draft. As a matter of fact, I think since 2015 draft, the Red Wings have drafted at least one goaltender, 2018-2, each, uh, each and every draft. Um, uh, Jesper uh, Eliasson, uh, he seems to have a great upside. I know that uh, Brian Mahoney-Wilson's pretty excited about him. What can you tell us about Jesper? And uh, I, I know that each team carries at least three goalies, so how much time do you think he's going to get? Do you think that he's competing for to be Sweden's number one goaltender uh, at the, uh, well, I guess he is because he's one of three, but I mean uh, that, uh, you know, he could actually turn out to be uh, a, a real star for Sweden at the, at least at this, uh, uh, the World Junior Championships. Well, I think for sure he's competing for the starting job. As, as you correctly point out, they, they only have three goalies here. It doesn't mean there aren't other goalies uh, in, in the mix with the organization uh, that aren't here. But certainly I think he's got as good a chance as, as any of the prospects that I know that they have here uh, of playing a meaningful role on this team. Um, but there's good goaltenders here, so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see how that, that works out. First of all, we really like Jesper as a, as a prospect. Uh, you know, I think sometimes with uh, skaters, uh, th there's a, a motivation from the NHL team to, to push them along in their European junior leagues and get them into the higher leagues quicker for their development. With goaltenders, it's different. You want your goalie to play. You want your goalie to play big minutes. You want him to play in important games and at the appropriate level. It doesn't do a goalie any good to play in the highest league in Europe if they're just opening the door and holding a clipboard tracking shots. And I think for Jesper last year was a tremendous year for him. He played a lot of games at the junior level. He was the starter. Um, he, he played a, you know, a lot of important games and, and at various times throughout the year. Whether it was, uh, you know, at certain points during the year over there, they've got men's tournaments where, uh, you know, the, the, the nations come together and, and play different tournaments. And when goaltenders within his club organization were off on other assignments, he had the opportunity to go up and, and either back up or practice or eventually get into games in the pro division and in the elite league. So uh, really good for him to get a taste of that, really good for him uh, to see that barometer uh, of where he needs to have his game get to in order to be successful at that level. And, and we're expecting him to continue along that path, whether he's in the highest pro division or perhaps the, more likely the second pro division over there and, and playing hopefully a meaningful role uh, during the regular season, that would be our expectation and then certainly uh, it would be great uh, opportunity for him if he can make Sweden's team and, and obviously 
a, a tremendous opportunity if, if he ends up being the guy over there because most nations, uh, you know, usually go with one starter and they might have another guy that kind of fills in for a couple games. But one guy usually gets the lion's share of the work, and if, if that ends up being him, that would be great for his development. So what Ryan's trying to say, Red Wing fans, is next year when the World Junior uh, Tournament is on, right after you're celebrating your uh, holiday season, uh, when Team Sweden's playing, you better you you want you want Jesper and Net for them. Uh, so and hopefully that that will happen. Let's turn your attention now to uh, uh, to the Grand Rapids Griffins. Uh, you're the general manager of that team. Um, if you can maybe kind of uh, let fans and I know we've talked about this before, Ryan. You know what exactly are your duties as the general manager? You mentioned Ben Simon, who's the head coach. He's starting his second year uh, in Grand Rapids. This team is, as you said, going to be very, very young. Yesterday, we're doing this on Saturday morning here, uh, but yesterday on Friday, uh, you signed Dominic Turgeon uh, to uh, the Red Wings. Did not Grand Rapids, and that's what I I think the difference because fans are constantly asking me, was well, he a Griffin or is he a Red Wing? Um, if you can maybe talk a little bit about uh, signing Dom for another year and then what, uh, what your duties entail because the Red Wings don't own the Griffins, but they have a very good working agreement with them. All right, well, this is, this is a multifaceted question. <laughs> so first of all, our relationship I know you can with, handle it, Ryan. Our relationship with Grand Rapids. Every NHL team has an American Hockey League affiliate. I would say half of the league is owned directly by the NHL parent club. For instance, the Pittsburgh Penguins own the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, and, and they manage it as an entity that they, they own. And the other half would have uh, an affiliation agreement with a, um, a team that's owned by somebody else. That's the relationship we have with Grand Rapids. The, the Griffins are owned by the Van Andel and DeVos families of, of Grand Rapids. We have a tremendous uh, affiliation agreement, a great working relationship. Basically, in a nutshell, Grand Rapids uh, is responsible for all the business operations down there. They sell tickets, they sell sponsorships, they plan all the travel side of the, the hockey team, and the, the Red Wings are responsible for every hockey operations decision. We sign all the players, uh, the coaches, the support staff, training, medical, strength coach um, and right now actually we're in the middle of a, a big renovation down at Van Andel Arena so hopefully uh, getting all the facilities up to, to a level for for our prospects down there now um, with that arrangement and signing all the hockey players there's a couple different types of players we have down there there's certainly players under an NHL contract uh, which would be a two-way contract where they have a a salary they earn in the NHL, and they have a salary they earn if they're in the American League. Dominic Turgeon is one of those players. Joe Hicketts is one of those. Uh, we've got great veteran leaders down there like Dylan McElrath and, and Brian Lashoff, uh, Chris Terry, Matt Pumple. Those are all players that are on NHL two-way contracts, but they're, they're under an NHL contract. Uh, they certainly they play um, part of or all of the year in Grand Rapids. They're eligible to be recalled to the NHL. Uh, as depth players, and those would be differ. Uh, those would differ from guys on just American League contracts. And when you're under an American League contract, 
you're not eligible to be recalled to the NHL. Uh, you can play between Toledo, our AA level affiliate in the East Coast League, and Grand Rapids in the American League, or just in Grand Rapids. And that would be players like Matt Ford. And, and last year we had Colin Campbell. We had Turner Elson on an American League deal. And he ended up earning an NHL contract, and we switched him over. But we've got Dominic Shines, another one. We've got a lot of players down there on just American League deals that they're important players for us down there. They help us win. They help us develop uh, our NHL prospects down there. But uh, certainly, to your point, Art, there's, there's different types of contracted players down there. And then finally, my role as the general manager. I mean, ultimately, I'm responsible for the roster that's put together down there. I work close with Steve and, and Pat Verbeek now uh, in terms of signing players down there. I manage the coaching staff. You know, Ben and I are in constant communication. You know, I'm the point person to deal with the training and the medical staff and the strength coach and, and basically everything that Steve would be responsible for at the NHL level, obviously on a much smaller scale, uh, is what goes on at the American League level in terms of my role. I, um, last year when the Red Wings were hit by injury, so many Griffins were up here towards the end of the season and I can remember when the Red Wings season ended and they all came back. I, I, I don't know if it was the Iowa Wild or I, I went to a game there and you know it was like the boys are back in town and I expected Grand Rapids to you know come out the old expression hellbent for leather and they actually kind of struggled. Um, is that one of the more difficult aspects because they all want to come to the NHL for the most part and they and a lot of them did but when they came back to Grand Rapids not that they didn't want to be there but something was lost in which was a very good hockey team they just never seemed to find their mojo again part of it you're correct I mean part of it at times is you know we refer to it as an NHL hangover there's certainly um, I think a natural let down for lack of a better word it's a little bit strong but there's a letdown of sorts that happens when a player's sent down from the NHL to the minors and they could have the greatest attitude and, and perspective in the world but ultimately you know it, it, it's a letdown they're playing at a different right. level there's you know eight or ten thousand fans in the building not 18 or 20 and the intensity and the importance of the game isn't what they're uh, you know more used to coming coming out of the NHL so you know, that's that's part of player development. That's part of managing egos and expectations. You know, I I say that our American League coach is you know part father, part sports psychologist, uh, you know, part disciplinarian, part friend. I mean, they they wear a lot of different hats down there. And one of the things that they have to do is manage a roster and a lineup card. And 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 obviously, when players are up in Detroit, we need to backfill the roster down there. And that usually comes from players who have been out of the lineup in the American League that get in or players that we call up from Toledo that now fill in the lineup and and the coach goes along with a certain lineup card and then when these players come back from Detroit for the most part they knock those guys back out of the lineup and so you're constantly managing egos you're managing right. expectations both of the players that play important roles down there that are coming from the NHL as well as Guys who are role players that may be in and out of the lineup at that level, they're, they're as important sometimes and, and as much of a challenge sometimes for the coach to manage. So, um, but, you know, credit to, uh, credit to Ben and his staff. Uh, 
you know, although we didn't finish the season, uh, the regular season on a winning record, we, we had some real challenges down the stretch. I thought they did a really good job of, of uh, when we got into the playoffs, I thought we gave Chicago everything they could handle we, uh, in Chicago. You know, we got it to five games in, in Chicago, uh, you know, ultimately ended up losing in the finals to, to Charlotte, who won the cup. Uh, but I thought they did a good job of getting the team ready to play in the playoffs, and, and I thought we played pretty well in the playoffs. When you look at this year's Griffins team, you already said they're going to be real young. I, I guess even though you signed Calvin Picard uh, to, a, to a free agent contract on July 1st, the Red Wings, uh, I guess the story to look at, and I mean, if Philip Sedina is back down there, and I know a couple of others to, to, to uh, uh, players to watch, whatever happens, does Chalowski make the Red Wings? Is he back in Grand Rapids? So there's definitely going to be some compelling storylines. I guess maybe because I'm a little bit of a goaltending freak, is that Philip Larson might be the guy that I'm really eager to see what he does with this AHL opportunity because he seems to anything that's thrown his way, he seems to really embrace it and hopefully he can stay healthy and really seems to excel. Yeah, that's an, I think that's a very accurate statement. Uh, you know, he took a less than traditional development route. You know, for those people that don't know, we drafted him from Europe. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's very common or it's not very common for European goalies to then come to North America to play. Um, you know, some of them do, a few do, but most of them for the most part stay over there and play and continue to develop in, in their native country. And for whatever reason, he wasn't getting a ton of opportunity over there. He ended up coming over to the United States Hockey League and, and had a tremendous uh, run in the USHL. I, I believe he was goaltender of the year his last year in the USHL. Uh, was looked at by a number of colleges, had an opportunity to go to the University of Denver. So all, all of a sudden, um, you know, you take a kid that was planning on developing in the European Pro Leagues, and three years later, he's a freshman at the University of Denver in Denver, Colorado. So, uh, and he had a lot of success there. You know, they had two good goalies. They made it to the, uh, to the NCAA tournament. Uh, he played... Um, you know, despite the fact that he had an injury going into the season last year and wasn't able to play, I think, till about January, he played uh, very, very well the second half of the year and helped the team get in the tournament and have some success and decided that, uh, you know, his next step in his development would be best served by, by turning pro. Uh, we agreed with that and, and decided, you know, to to give him the opportunity to play in Grand Rapids. So the, the way we're set up now, you know, certainly uh, he's going to be given every opportunity to compete for the starter's job in Grand Rapids. We've got a great uh, established goaltender at that level and Calvin Pickard, uh, assuming that Calvin ends up down there, you know, I think he'll be a really good mentor for Phillip. And our hope uh, and is what we told Phillip and Calvin is that uh, it's a Peter Morazic situation of, of his rookie year where I think the other goalie was Tommy McCollum, who was uh, you know, an established American League uh, starter. And by the end of the year, Peter had beaten him out. So, you know, our, and Calvin understands that, you know, our motivation and if Phillip uh, is developing well, he's going to push Calvin 
and try to take his job, frankly. I mean, that was an expression Ken Holland used to use. You've got to take the guy's job before you can can move up the ladder and, and be considered ready to play in the NHL. So, uh, you know, Phillips, our best young goalie prospect now that's not in the NHL. Um, he'll be in a really good spot in, in Grand Rapids. Uh, Brian Mahoney-Wilson's an excellent goalie development coach. We've also hired Phil O'Sear from the Tampa Bay Lightning, who will do our uh, be in charge of goalie development and scouting. So he's another set of, of eyes and, and an expert in terms of helping him develop. So we're excited about Philip. We think he's in a good spot, um, and, and he's going to have a, a ton of opportunity to play down there. When you look at uh, Grand Rapids heading into it, uh, I know Zadina wants to make the team. Uh, you know, questions about maybe Michael Rasmussen. It, would he be better served? Maybe, uh, depending. I mean, obviously he was played sixty some odd games for the Red Wings last year. But there are some decisions to be made. Uh, you said that they're going to be younger. Younger doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be bad. Uh, but Steve has said uh, that. He doesn't want like the yo-yo effect going on. You know, if he he would like to see whatever happens, and obviously injury plays into this. But if you're on this team, he would like you to be on that team just to kind of you know get developed and you know develop some sort of rhythm. Uh, the Griffins this year, uh, and do you? Because I, I love going to Griffin games too. It's a great if you're going to play in the AHL. There's not many better cities to play than uh, uh, than Grand Rapids. Uh, do you see this being a very competitive team where these guys are not only playing obviously to uh, make their mark in the AHL, but to make their mark so they do get if there are call-ups needed for Detroit that they're the first call-ups. Well, we we believe it's going to be a competitive team. It's it's definitely a different makeup than we've had in the last three or four years in terms of the age of the players and um, the caliber of the prospects. Um, you know, I think if you if you look at the roster piece by piece, you know we're we're going to have a veteran presence down there in in you know not to the same extent that we have in the past, but certainly those. Uh, those veteran leaders that help you win games, that help you put points on the board. You know, Chris Terry and Matt Pumple were mm -hmm. two of the leading scorers in the league. They're both going to be back. Um, our, our center position is probably going to be very young. Uh, Dominic Turgeon, uh, you know, we just re-signed. Joe Valeno, obviously, who's going to be a rookie, is eligible to play there. Chase Pearson is a rookie out of the University of Maine. Uh, we've signed a, a player to an American League contract. Um, Gregor McLeod, who played with Joe in Drummondville, and Dan Cleary and Sean Horkoff recommended signing him to a minor league contract, so he'd be a guy that we're going to try to develop down there. But he's a he's a skilled playmaking centerman, uh, as you correctly point out. You know, Michael Rasmussen is eligible to play down there, and certainly, um, you know, I agree with Steve. You know, we don't want the yo-yo effect and players on the we used to call it the shuttle program coming back and <laughs> forth. You know, you. I think there's some stability. Uh, you know, the more stability you can offer a player in terms of a development environment, it makes it, it, it easier for him. Um, but we are going to be young, but I think with that comes uh, some youthful energy, uh, some competitiveness. We've signed uh, a couple of, of players to AHL contracts coming out of college, good college free agents, and Troy Loggins, who was the WCHA Player of the Year. We signed, uh, you know, uh, to me, one of the one of the, the, the grittier players in college hockey who can also chip in some points in Jared Lucas Savages out of the University of Denver. So I think we've got some nice pieces. Um, 
you know, Svechnikov is another one. He didn't right. play a single game last year, and not necessarily that he won't be in a position to compete for a job in Detroit, but is he ready? Is he ready because he sat out an entire year with his knee injury? Does he need some time in the minors? You correctly point out, you know, Zadina's uh, obviously going to be competing for a job in Detroit, but if he's not ready, um, so there, there's a lot of, of talented offensive players. Um, there's some young ones. There's some some youthful uh, enthusiasm coming from some rookies. I think we've got a nice core group of defense with, you know, anchored by some veterans with Lashoff and McElrath, and we just signed Hicketts. You know, he's a great leader for us down there. But we're also going to have Gustav Lindstrom, a first-year right. player. Um, you know, you know, Cider uh, is eligible to play down there as well. You know, people uh, might not know that, but. As a first-round draft pick, we're, we're eligible to loan him to the American League if he doesn't make Detroit. We also have the option to send him back to Germany to develop there. But but Cider might be playing there. Uh, we we signed uh, another overage um, defenseman out of the Quebec League, uh, Charles Edward Dastu. You know he's a guy Yuri Fisher identified. So uh, I think great job by our scouting uh, personnel and player development staffs in identifying some. Uh, some young rookies coming out of college hockey or the CHL that we've signed that we are going to try to develop to NHL prospects. And we've got some good veterans down there to lead the group and, and also, I think, an impressive group of, of young prospects that are future NHL players uh, in Valeno and Zadina and perhaps Rasmussen and uh, maybe Dennis Chalowski, as you point out, like guys that are going to spend some time there maybe and, and hopefully end up uh, helping Detroit, uh, both in the short term and the long term. Yeah, I guess maybe, you know, everybody would like to see maybe Mo Sider uh, make the Red Wings at such a young age. I mean, he was uh, uh, Rookie of the Year when he was playing against men as a 17- and 18-year-old out in Germany. Um, he seems now, and I'm reading into this, when you make a decision on him, do you basically say whether you look, Mo, whether you want to go to Germany or not, or go back to Mannheim, which you can, I guess, but we'd much rather. Do you have the definitive word, I guess, even though he might say, "Geez, you know, I'd rather just go back to Germany." Well, we have the definitive word, but I would say everything's going to be done in Mo's best interest and what's best for the Red Wings in his development. So there's a lot of components right. that come into making that decision. Number one, uh, he's still in school. You know, he, he, For instance, he wanted to go back and finish school this summer as opposed to staying here in Detroit and training with some of his peers, which um, I, I think is a good thing. So right. um, what role is he going to play? Uh, you know, what, how is the German team going to use him? Is he going to play specialty teams? Uh, by the same token, the same thing can be asked of the coaching staff in Grand Rapids. You know, obviously some of the advantages to him being here, he's on the smaller ice, he's two hours from Detroit. He can be seen live by Steve and myself and Pat Verbeek. Our player development people can be there all the time and can work with him hands-on. If he's over in Germany, now you're talking about a flight across the Atlantic, and it's obviously different. But we want to put him in the best position uh, to be successful. Where is he going to be most comfortable? Where is he going to develop the most as a player? Uh, is the American League too high of a, of a step for him. Um, you know, the American League can be a, a rough league as well for some young defensemen. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's a men's league, yes, but it's different than, like the German League, but it's different than the German League and the style of play is different. And 
you know, we don't necessarily want him, you know, getting run every night, uh, going back to get pucks if, if, if that's what ends up looking like it's going to happen at this level. So there's a, there's a myriad of factors that will be considered, um, you know, not the least of which is his personal preference and where he's going to be most comfortable, but certainly, you know, Steve and, and myself and Pat and our player development people, uh, you know, in conjunction with Mo and his agent, we'll, we'll make the decision that's in his best interest for, for his long-term development. You know, I know we have to get going here, but I wanted to ask you real, real quickly, uh, Toledo had such a wonderful season last year. They came within two games of winning the Kelly Cup, their, uh, uh, the championship of the ECHL. They were the Western Conference champions. Uh, Unlike maybe some organizations or some players that feel if they're on the, the ECHL team that it's kind of almost, you know, well, you know, I might as well start, you know, looking about uh, what else I'm going to do with my life. But that's not the case in Toledo. Perhaps maybe the biggest story is, is that Dan Watson, uh, their head coach, signed a three-year deal with them. So I guess from a railway perspective, that would be good because that will keep the consistency because they've been a very good hockey club for a number of years now under him. Yeah, first of all, it, great for Dan. Uh, Dan is an excellent coach. Uh, I think there's a lot of continuity and synergy between Toledo, Grand Rapids, and Detroit. Um, you know, I, I together with um, the, the Toledo people uh, about five or six years ago, had a vision of trying to establish what's more a traditional baseball feeder system or at least striving to get to that where you had a double-A to AAA feeder system for your NHL club. And, and I thought one of the things we could take advantage of, well, a number of things. A, uh, it's, a it's a phenomenally run market. Uh, the people that run the mud hens run the walleye. I mean, the, the, a, the business operations aren't A plus. The arena's fabulous. The city's great. Uh, the proximity to Detroit and Grand Rapids, you know, a few teams had that um, geographic proximity and could take advantage of that. And, you know, frankly, a commitment from both ownership groups, the Illiches and uh, the Grand Rapids ownership group, and that they were going to give us the resources to, to sign those types of players and try to develop them. And I think, you know, if you look towards, you know, Luke Glendening was really the first one that we signed and developed out of there. And, uh, you know, he's a really good player for us on the wings. You know, other players that we drafted and who played down at that level that went on to have uh, – you know, real good pro careers and some time in the NHL. Andre Nestorsil, Marty Frick, uh, Peter Morazic started down right. there. So there's there's a number of players. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's not easy to do. You know, I think Toronto has made a big commitment to doing that as well. And obviously, uh, you know, we lost to Newfoundland in the finals, and that's Toronto's farm team. So it's you know two organizations, Detroit and Toronto, that have made a conscious effort to. Uh, focus on that league, give them some resources, evaluate players for them, help them sign players, and then ultimately try to develop players. And, you know, best case scenario, you find an NHL player. Worst case scenario is you've got a real good feeder system for your American League team. So when you have an injury, you know, you know the players you're calling up. You've worked with them. You've signed many of them. And I think that's really important. So Dan's done a fabulous job down there. Uh, he helps us develop players. Our, our scouts uh, have identified both um, pro players that, that have been with other organizations that we've signed for Toledo, as well as uh, rookie free agents who come out of college and junior. So between our amateur staff and our pro staff, uh, myself uh, and the, you know, Dan Watson and Ben Simon, frankly, 
you know, collectively, we've tried to put a competitive team on the ice down there. Um, I think they've got to be one of the, I don't have numbers in front of me, but certainly with a, you know, two final four runs in the last five years and, and a trip to the finals, they, you know, they're one of the winningest franchises in the ECHL. It's a great place to play. Obviously, the affiliation with Detroit, I think, is really important. Uh, but, I, I, you know, from our standpoint, I, I'm really proud of, of what they've accomplished, and I'm certainly proud to be associated with them. Well, I'll tell you what, Ryan, we're going to have to end it right there. I, and uh, I do appreciate it. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think, I mean, Toledo's going to have an outdoor game this year. Uh, so they're, they're a great franchise, and it's a, it is a very good environment to play. I do appreciate you taking time, Ryan. As always, I enjoy talking to you. I know the fans love to hear uh, from you in the Red Wing perspective, and uh, thank you very, very much. And thanks for having me, Art. My pleasure.